Welcome to Table Pancakes. I'm Catherine. And I'm Shelby. Shelby, how's it going? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. It's going well. I got back from New Orleans this morning and we're back into the swing of things. It's going to be a busy week. I'm not going to list all the things that are happening (laughs) because I don't have the energy to do so. But it's going to be a busy week, so I'm looking forward to reuniting with some friends. I haven't been back in New York since the 9th, so... Today is the 26th. (laughs) There's a lot to catch up on, both socially, in my house, etc. So I'm happy to be back into the swing of things and finding my routine again. But I don't really have a routine. Everyone knows that. But the loose version of my routine. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's nice to be here together. I have a pretty busy week coming up. And a highlight from last week that I just want to share is that I hung out with Elaine, who is a podcast listener and also the interior designer of two of your New York apartments. So shout out to Elaine. It was cool to meet friend of Shelby. Yeah, we love Elaine. She has helped my apartments feel like home, which is really important to me because I spend a lot of time at home. And the theme of this week's episode is solo time. We talked about it in last week's episode, but the concept of solo time, I think it came up when we were talking about you and I and our differences when it comes to leaving the house and our appetite for going to those third places just to, you know, get out and have a little, have a few conversations, meet strangers, etc. So we talked about that and we're like, let's do a whole episode on solo time. What are our thoughts on solo time? How much do we need? How do we see solo time generally? And some of the articles and podcasts that we've been sharing as always solo time definitely seems like we each have different amounts of solo time in our day-to-day lives and we each want and need different things from our solo time or alone time so what do you think about solo time what do you want from it what do you need from it what's the point I desire a lot of solo time I want to blame it on the pandemic but I, one day we will have a whole conversation about human design. I keep saying that, but I promise you all we will because it's been, I'm reading a book right now about my design type, which is a manifester. Manifestors have these things called rest cycles. Like my whole being is in either in an intense creative cycle where I'm trying to birth something essentially, like whatever creative idea I have, or I'm in a rest cycle. I spend 80% of my time in rest cycles, 20% of my time creating, which is insane. That That's crazy. I rest <laughs> most times. Which, I love that, but wow. Right. So go, taking it back to solo time, I always thought it was kind of weird. And I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like doing anything. Like I thought I was kind of lazy in some ways, which I don't think people would describe me as such, but I just have a desire to like lay around and like think and listen to music and talk on the phone sometimes, just like be in my house which like bringing you back to a lane. That's why I'm obsessed with my space. As soon as I had an apartment to myself, I was like, it needs to feel like home because I spend a lot of time at my home. Now people can come over here, but I also spend a lot of time (laughs) in my house by myself, which surprises people because I'm an extrovert and I never stop talking. And this is my second podcast. (laughs) But I also value being by myself just to gather my thoughts. And also that time gives me the space to birth my ideas. I have a hard time with the noise, like everyone else's thoughts, their their energy, their input, like until I'm ready for it, I kind of can't have it. So I spend my time in my house getting my mind together and like kind of crafting my space. It's kind of like a secret lab of ideas and visions. It totally is. It's like where I do my best work, my beautiful minding. 
I don't know. I feel apologetic about it sometimes because everyone wants every little piece of everyone's time. Like, well, I'm sure we'll talk about how scheduled everyone is and it's hard to get like time on the calendar. So I feel bad sometimes being like, I actually don't want to overschedule myself because I need solitude and not just for the sake of like, oh, I'm tired. I want to watch Netflix, but I need to think. That's solo time to me. What What are your thoughts about solo time? Love it for getting things done. And I do need it to physically rest and recover, kind of come back to myself. I also find that Sometimes solo time for me is being alone, but around other people. When I'm brainstorming for ideas or going out to clear my head or think through something, a lot of times it actually helps me to see things going on around me. Sometimes all of that noise can be a little bit much, but just to be able to visualize things, be inspired by what I'm taking it around me is really helpful. So there's a solo time at home, but I also really, really need that solo time where I'm kind of at one with with the world, I guess, and love human design. I don't even know as much about it as you do, but you've gotten me into it and I can't wait to learn more. And I'm a projector. And from what I know, I guess, about myself and what I know about projectors is um, there's a lot of absorption of like the people and emotions that are going on around you. And so it makes sense to me that that's kind of like a natural state of being for me. And that's what I need in my quiet time too. That makes sense. When it comes to quiet time and friendship, I feel the need to inform my friends. I think that's something I didn't always do the best job at. But another part of being a manifester is we're supposed to inform people, which is my, is my least favorite thing to do. I like to just do what I want. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm inconsiderate, but it doesn't, because I'm not, I swear I'm a good friend. She's a great friend. I can't have a friendship podcast saying, oh, being a bad friend. <laughs> I'm really considerate, but I don't think it will, I don't think it will impact people that I just like, don't join them and I had a situation with a friend where he was having a party and I had been like on a crazy work travel run I don't even remember where I was going but I was just tired so I think I had gotten back the day before and he was having the party the day after anyway I don't go to his party but like we're this is someone I spoke to every day like we were in touch And I kind of just like Homer Simpson memed myself out of the party. Like I didn't send a text like, look, I'm feeling really tired from work, like work travel. I'm not going to come. I just like kind of didn't go, which now sounds kind of crazy. But at the time I was so tired that it felt very justified. I'm like, we talk all the time. I was just at his house, like before my work travel, if I don't go, it's going to be fine. And something I've learned about myself and like my human design type is People feed off of my energy. Like my energy initiates a lot of things. And I always think I underestimate that. I'm very much like, oh, people won't miss me. It's not that big of a deal. Like we'll catch up later. But it was very clear to me that he's like, no, I wanted you here. I wanted your energy at this party. And it was inconvenient and it really upset him that I didn't come. But the point is I didn't inform him. So That's something I've been working on when it comes to solo time is sharing with people that I need it. And it feels so silly to me to be like, well, Catherine, I can't do this because I need to sit alone today. Even though like I'm completely free, I just do not feel like associating. And it can be hard because if your friend, I'm perceptive enough to be like, oh, this person like wants to hang out with me or we haven't caught up in a while or like, I don't know when I'll have time to do a one-on-one hangout with them. 
But for myself, I really need the solitude. So for me, I've also been really focusing on informing people, which does not come naturally to me and honestly feels silly and kind of like an overshare to be like, well, really have to be alone today. So I'm going to have to say no to those plans. And people are like, what do you mean? I won't say that people always fight me on it, but it does feel silly because they're like, can't you be alone later? Just come to this. But you can't. You're so busy. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. But I, I've really been working on the informing piece. So people can feel better on the other side of my solo time. It doesn't feel like Shelby just doesn't want to see me and she's like rolling around in her house. Like she could do that any day. It's like, no, I really, it's, I'm not even like using it to do like laundry and you know, I don't really do that. <laughs> not using it for you like utilitarian things. It's more like, okay. I have to just zone for a moment. Totally. You need that space. And just because someone's around doesn't mean that they're necessarily available. I stand by that very strongly and encourage people when they feel overwhelmed and kind of overburdened by social plans. I'm like, you're not available. But there is merit to um, informing people. So, you know, it's my life's work. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're really comfortable being by yourself have you ever had moments where you didn't feel so comfortable around yourself not really I'm working on being more comfortable like how you are being in the wild by myself I don't really like to do and I don't know if it's an insecurity I can't I haven't unpacked what that's about but going out by myself makes me more nervous like I that doesn't feel That feels harder to me, but I've always enjoyed some time alone, Mm -hmm. which, you know, some people might refute that because like, you know, I have a lot of social plans, but I love, and I think people do not, because you don't post that on Instagram. I post the stuff I'm doing on Instagram, but I very often just sit in my house and I like light a candle and I listen to one of like my music mixes and I might write or, you know what I mean? Like that feels very comfortable to me and it always has. Like if my, you know, when you're a kid and everyone's out of your house, like, your sister has plans. Your mom and dad are gone. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> like my time my time after school in high school, I would get out of senior year, I got out of school early. And I didn't work every day. So on the days I didn't work, I would be at my house like, do, 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 do. Like so happy that no one was there. <laughs> like I love being alone. But I'm working on the uh, alone in public thing that you spoke about. I only really do things by myself like that if I'm like on vacation. Like when sure. I was in Amsterdam, I was telling you how I went to like the Anne Frank Museum by myself. Like, mm-hmm. I, It's more of a forced function of like, I want to see this and I am alone right now, so I'm going to go see it. But I don't choose that as my path. I call that being a free agent. Yeah, <laughs> a free agent. And I, I admire that you like being a free agent so much. What do you attribute that to? Have you always been into that? Or is that just a forced function of kind of your life evolving? It's a little bit of nature and nurture. If I really think back... My parents are maybe listening, so maybe I'll have them comment on the pod so we can get the real deal. But when I think back to when I was little, I did have a lot of friends, but I did like to do things on my own. And I think it was more about determination. And, you know, when you're little and developing, trying to learn things on your own, I didn't want to maybe rely on other people. I just wanted to figure it out. Like there's a story about my sister, I have an older sister, Elizabeth, I would always kind of look at what she was doing and want to do it. So I was determined to learn how to tie my shoes. And apparently I locked myself in my room and was in there for hours 
my parents finally broke in and I had broken out into sweat because I was just so focused trying to figure it out. So maybe that's just, you know, at my core, I need to figure things out alone, who knows? But I would also say in terms of the context of my life, I found from the reality of having busy friends, not having, you know, that core go-to friend group as times have evolved, having friends that are prioritizing partnership more and more, and then also needing to carve out creative time for myself, particularly when I was working a corporate job, I had to become pretty comfortable spending time by myself. And sometimes it does feel like it's too frequent. I know I've mentioned that, like I have a lot of alone time, but I also think that there's a great deal of comfort and beauty that can come from all of that alone time. The world is your oyster. I think when you first were telling the story about your sister and your determination, I like to figure things out in my home, but the world, it's kind of like you have an audience. I think that's what it is for me, where it's like you talked about the floption and like going to your, going to different places. And if it doesn't work out, you have another place and you have this plan. And I'm like, I don't want to call it a failure, but all of this flailing is stressful to me. I don't like to flail. You know, in my head, I romanticize, like, I'll go to the Met, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do that. And then the second something is, like, not quite right, I'm like, oh, no, throw the whole thing away. And <laughs> I'm like, if I would have just been at home doing my thing, that would have been fine. But it, it, you're right. As we get older, there is this force function of just, like, people want to do less things, like, in a group. So it's like, if you want to go see an exhibit or something, you're like, I guess I just have to go. I feel like I very much... I'm open to throwing things against the wall, many things, and seeing what sticks. Sometimes it can be exhausting, but then there's a lot of gratification when you go and do something on your own. And you're like, oh, wow, this was really great. Going to add that into the, the repertoire. Easier said than done, but we have to be comfortable with ourselves. And sometimes that can be a challenge. Sometimes that can be a learning curve we are with ourselves, and so so we have to we have to deal with that and we also have to embrace that so there are a few ways to look at it i was as i was thinking about today i one thought that i was drawn to is if you're lonely when you're alone you're in bad company that was jean paul sartre and it's kind of a, a very direct <laughs> look at oneself right like you need to make sure that you're I guess what people say, right with yourself, because you know you have yourself. But on another softer note, I've always really held on to this passage from Gwendolyn Brooks, who I, I loved as a poet in my childhood. And she wrote a children's book called Aloneness. One passage, which I think speaks to how you view aloneness, is sometimes aloneness is delicious. But she also says, you make presents to yourself, presents of clouds and sunshine and the dandelions that are there. Aloneness is like that sometimes. Sometimes I think it is not possible to be alone. You are with you. And pulse and nature keep you company. And I think that's just like a softer approach of, can you really be alone? You're with yourself. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. Of course, I think alone time is delicious. That is <laughs> the quote for me said something that stuck with me about how being alone with yourself, like you're never really alone when you have yourself. But I was thinking solo time for some people is very hard because they don't know themselves. I have normalized a lot of introspection. I'm very introspective. During my alone time, 
when I'm showering, when I'm driving, when I used to do that and didn't live in New York, I think a lot and I think about myself, what I'm interested in and how I was being in certain situations and how I could have done better. Like, it's like a highlight reel, both positive and negative of like myself. And I find that a lot of people don't do that. Self-awareness is at an all-time low. I, there's not a scientific stat I have. It's just my observation. You heard it here first. It's just my observation that self-awareness could be higher. And that's valid. Know, in another note, I might say, like, bring a little shame back because I think people could use some. But that's not today's episode. Being alone with yourself requires, in my in my eyes, to enjoy it. It's like almost a conversation with self. I like to reflect. I like to write. I like it's not sitting and I don't disassociate. I disassociate from the world, but not myself. Like I'm sitting and understanding and seeking understanding and systems that I think that's why I even got into human design. I'm like, I don't want to further understand myself. And you and I were talking about personality tests. I just have this really deep craving to know myself because I think as children, you are conditioned. I truly believe that we are all like you're born you. And then there's this nature versus nurture I know personally I learned things, not even just through my parents, but the world about myself that were good or bad. And I think that solo time is a time for me to connect of like, what is the truth? Because I think when there's like a lot of noise, you get confused. Is that a good trait about me or is it not? And like when you're alone, you can be like, do I like that about myself or do I not? Absent of like what other people take away from those experiences. Mm. So yeah, being alone is that moment to come back to yourself. As we all know, what's tricky is that time and especially quiet time is a commodity so we're conscious of how much time we have or don't have and also conscious of how much time other people have or don't have it influences our ability to connect when you're constantly thinking oh this person's busy or this person has all the time in the world that has to have some impact on how we reach out or don't reach out to each other do you ever think about that I do, and I have a couple of groups of friends where it's like, we are kind of in constant touch, so I'm like, I know I can reach out to you and you'll get back to me at your leisure, but then there are people who I'm like, I talk to them every day on the phone, and if I call them, they probably will answer. So I think for me, it's having, it's like the wide net of friends where I probably am making some of those judgments of like, I haven't really talked to her in a few days or like in a week or so, so I don't know if I would randomly call her because maybe she's working, and then I have friends who their jobs are just more serious. Like mm-hmm. I work in marketing, I have a lot of meetings, but I'm not like a doctor. I'm not a therapist, like I'm not a lawyer. Like some of my friends have more serious jobs than me. And you know, they're gonna laugh because they're like, your job is serious, but it's not. I work in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I work in marketing, I'm not curing cancer. Like I'm busy at work, but it's not insane. But I, I think even though even those are judgments too, where it's like given what that person's workload looks like and how intense they are about work, there is a thought of like, should I disturb them? Or after they power down from work, do they have an interest in speaking to me? But I would hope that everyone has their little Rolodex of like one to two people who they can just like call. Cause there are people I need to be like, I'm not even gonna think about it. I'm just going to call you. Right. And that's really helpful. Do you think about it? I do. There are some people where I know they're really busy, and so I try to maybe reach out to them on the weekends and acknowledge rest. <laughs> you know, like, I hope, are, how, how was your week? Are you getting a chance to kind of wind down and, and shut off? 
I think the bigger question for me is, are there missed opportunities that happen? Because people always assume like, you know, this person has a lot of time, so they can take all of this on, or they can always be there. And and maybe that person needs support or needs a breather or a moment to celebrate, or, you know, this person has too much on their plate, so I'm not going to reach out, but like maybe that person does want something a little bit lighter added in, or, you know, a moment to connect. I think that's how I think about it. I agree. It's thematic both in this (laughs) podcast and in life, but it's a level of vulnerability. The way that I have friends who I could just call is one of us took the initiative to just start calling. Like my friends are busier than me. Well, you know, some of them are, some of them are quite busy. We're past the point of glorifying it. Like in some ways it's just like a forced function of like family's not living here and like job travel and then like personal travel. And we're in the, we're in the age where everyone's getting married. I got two save the dates today in the mails. That just makes you busy. Like it's, it's not even of like, oh my God, like I'm just so important. It's just, it's <laughs> having, things are happening, <laughs> right? Having a network, having weddings, having work travel, those things alone is like enough to send me into a spiral. My Google calendar is like, okay, but someone has to do the thing. I would say that I don't often calculate that hard. I don't really do this romantically, but platonically, if I like you, I don't care. Like if I, if I'm like, oh my God, I really like this person. And I once saw a tweet and it feels so true to me. I like people too much or not at all. Like I'm either like really obsessed with you or I'm like, "Mm, that's fine. Like, (laughs) Like it's like not, whatever. And so I, when I really like someone and I want to be their friend, especially if the feeling is mutual, I will rogue call you. I don't care. <laughs> like, I I really will. It's definitely one of my behaviors. It's not very millennial of me, but I'll be like, hi. And then people are shocked. Once someone said to me, did I call you? Because <laughs> they were like, but then once that was said, it's so funny because he was still at the office. He, he was still at the office and it was maybe like 8 p.m. I had come back from a happy hour and I was just thinking about him and I called him. He says, did I call you? I was like, no, I called you. <laughs> and then he tells me something he would not have told me if we were texting mm. or if I hadn't called. He was like, oh, it was a really hard day at work. Like this thing happened. And I wouldn't have known that. So yeah. I do think that my advice, not that you asked for it, is you, for you and the listeners is like, if there's someone you like, you have to just take the chance. And I don't really, if I like you, this is more platonically than romantically, I do not pursue anybody romantically, <laughs> like, to a fault. But, different episode. Different episode, but platonically, I'm like, okay, you're really cool and I want to be your friend, or like, we had a really good experience and that's enough for me to jump off and be like, what's up? Like, I, and right. you react poorly, that says more about you. And we probably won't have the friendship I wanted to have, but I tried. Like, I agree. I agree. So that's kind of my way of doing it. Yeah. I actually had that recently where I befriended someone or I guess became acquaintances with them. And I was like, okay, great. Great conversation. Let's keep this going. And then I found, you know, I was like, oh, maybe that's not the case. And who knows? Maybe they're busy, whatever. But it's like that level of enthusiasm and kind of guard being down. Like, hey, we get along. Let's hang out. Just didn't seem mutual. So I was like, all right. Right, you have to cut your losses, and I think if you don't try, then you always be curious, but people need to give it the same energy as they're giving the partnership they're prioritizing. It's like you to a friend should be like, oh my god, that was like a great hangout. And I love it when people say that to me. I'm so humbled when I meet someone and they're like, we should hang out again, and they follow up, and they like, you know, people want to follow you on social media, but they're not social. 
which I find to be very strange. Like, I find that so strange. Stop. <laughs> like, why are you watching me but not speaking to me? I don't really like that. But whatever. I think people are just voyeurs on Instagram and that's yep. their business. But I also love people who follow you and engage with your content. Like, oh, you know, I saw this photo you posted and you were in California. That looks so fun. How was LA? Using it as a way to like draw back in and yep. showing their interest to me is also a good way to build if you're not a rogue caller like me. Totally. That's like actually kind of... <laughs> I don't know if I'm suggesting that for everyone. I don't know if all you can land that, but <laughs> you don't have to call someone out of the blue, but say something. Right. Say something. Love that. I think, you know, alone time, we have to be comfortable with it. We have to, we have to find our way, but also there's, there are moments, especially in the way that things are now in our present world, where I do feel like people feel like they actually have too much time by themselves. So what happens when the amount or like the nature of your alone time doesn't feel good? This isn't a question directly to you because I feel like you are deliciously enjoying your alone time, but what are your thoughts on that? When someone's feeling like lonely or maybe they're in their alone time, they want to get things done, but they're feeling unproductive and it's just like not sitting right. I try to think about people who are showing those signs I have friends who reach out to me and I'm really just not available to see them. And what happens when you end up being busy is I kind of have this like core function where I'm like, there are these five people if I'm in town for seven days that I'm going to see. And if you're not on that short list, even though I might care about you or like you, I'm probably not going to prioritize you. That's just how my brain works. I'm like, these five people I need to lay eyes on. And if like, you're not in that five. Like I need, when I have more time, I'll get to you. But what upsets me about that is I can feel sometimes, which will make me like bump them up on the list. I can feel sometimes there's this energy of like, no, I kind of need to see you, even if they're mm -hmm. not saying it. And it's like, I need to see someone or sometimes it's not even about me. It's just like you are in your thirties and you are social. And even if we're not really close, I know you have a plan. I know you're going to be doing something, even if I can just like come to your house and sit with you and a few other people. So I try to read the room because it's hard, right? Like I'm not a special snowflake. Like this, there's a reason we have this podcast. Like I put in the work, like I go out of my way to be friends with people and find these mutual connections. And I like leave it all on the line. And I think that people prioritize different things for different reasons. Like they prioritize, maybe they have roommates and they're like, I just really focused on those relationships or they have a boyfriend and that ended. And so they're really focused on that relationship. So I think there are people who feel really lonely because of a lot of changes. Like you've spoken mm -hmm. about a lot of changes and there's loneliness in those changes and not everyone is paying attention. So you almost have to kind of like wave your hands in the air, which can be embarrassing for people so they yeah. don't. So if you're not picking up on it, I try to pick up on it because right. their people are lonely and they're just not telling you. Yeah. But there are oftentimes signs that you can pick up on or receive. Yeah. There are definitely signs and it's, it's, I don't always have the energy to be the good Samaritan, but when I do have the energy, I try to read the room and be like, okay. And it's not like these are like destitute people who aren't fun to be around, but it's just like, maybe you focused really hard on your career. You work a lot or like you just woke up one day. I think a lot of people have friend groups like we talked about college or high school or 
they just like fell into a friend group and that friend group evolved and they didn't really make any other friends. Sure. So it's like, you just don't have the ties you want. So you're kind of looking for something to bring you in. So sometimes I try to reel them in. I try to grab people, but it is fascinating because it's like, I want people to not always go for the low hanging fruit. I think sometimes I can be low hanging fruit, Mm. but it's like, am I the best person for you? Am I the best friend group for you? Like, I'm down for you to try it, but, like, you should also try to find your people. Right. Not just, like, she seems social. Like, let's be friends with her. Because I'm, like, it might not be a match. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I think you're definitely someone that people gravitate towards and for many obvious reasons. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you would be, like you know, best friends to, you know, 10 people who are reaching out to you and, and you are very engaging and you're very caring and charismatic and fun. And so people gravitate towards that easily. But I see what you mean about like, is that sometimes coming off as like low hanging fruit and maybe they, there's some opportunity for a little bit more soul searching to see what else is out there. Right. And I'm like down to be in the friend connection program. Like I will connect you. Like I think sometimes I will take my inbound and be like, oh, okay. I have someone for you. I like that because in a way, you know yourself, you know the other person and you could say, hmm, actually, I think like this is the person they really need to meet. Exactly. And I'm like, and then I will make cameos. Like I'm totally down to like get a brunch, get a lunch. But I'm like, I, this is not my, it shouldn't be you and I. Like, <laughs> and not because I don't like you, but it's just like you, you yeah. know, like this, your person's yeah. over here. Yeah. And so... Because I, I want everyone to have friends who feel like they can really support them. I think in my 30s, the reason I love my solitude is because when I'm with my friends, I'm really with my friends. Like my true blue, like talk about anything, in the weeds together. And I think people are craving that. They're craving like, and so I'm like, you're you're looking at Instagram posts about people going out. You That's not what you miss. You, right. want, <laughs> you miss people to like recap the next night with. Yes. Like it's New York City. We could be out anywhere. Right. It's also interesting because this has come up a couple of times, but I almost feel like Instagram post stories, but particularly stories need to be contextualized around like how much of someone's life is that one 1.5 second little blip. Right. It is such obviously, you know, if you're at a party, it is longer than one five seconds unless it was really terrible but it's such a small percentage of time and yeah if I'm you know not at an event or at a party or something I am at home I am in sweats I'm drinking tea that's not on Instagram (laughs) right like not posting that on Instagram I think it's uh it's hard because Instagram stories provide this curated and we've talked about this but it's this curated moment of like i'm out i also had to i had to train myself if we're gonna be honest to not be so like i'm fun because it felt like instagram felt like a place to prove that and then i would Mm. be interacting with people and they're like oh my god like you have so much fun and you're doing this and you're always out and you're doing that and i'm it's not to say that i'm not but like i just admitted i spend a lot of time at my house so i'm like yes i do step out to fun events and i do socialize but that's not the majority of my life and I think common sense would land you there I spent at least 40 hours of my week working so I don't know how I could be having fun majority of the time right then there's the sleeping hours right I'm not a socialite (laughs) but I do and Instagram stories it's your brand and ever since Instagram became your brand everyone's like I want to show that I'm fun 
and then I travel and then I go out and then I have friends. It's kind of like your calling card. Right. And to not have that is, you know, another form of like social leprosy of like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really see them doing anything. And it's just another thing that would make people feel more lonely. So I've actually been experimenting with not really posting my every move. I think that's fair for yourself and for others. And we talked about this earlier this week, but there was an article in The Atlantic, Why Americans Suddenly Stopped Hanging Out, Derek Thompson. And one of the sentences that really hit me was, solitude is less solitary than ever. I think we've covered off on the fact that we both believe aloneness doesn't have to be loneliness, but when people are spending so much more of their alone time being voyeurs of escalated fractions of other people's lives, where you're seeing a a more extreme scenario of a party, an event, a vacation, a big, you know, life moment, and it's just time-wise, not a huge chunk of how people are spending their time, it can become overwhelming and definitely make you feel lonelier when you see all of this going on around you and you're at home in your sweats. I don't know how we refute that. The article was talking about, Instagram was an interesting point about people being voyeurs and seeing the stories, exactly what you just outlined. But it also said the cause was our lack of communities. Like people aren't going to churches anymore. People aren't joining these local communities. We're not engaging with each other as much as we once were, which means there are less opportunities to be a part of that crowd. And something I've noticed about New York, because so many of us are transplants, as we've talked about, is a lot of it comes from where you went to school, both high school and college. And if you went to B school, like a lot of these communities that people are grabbing are from elite, with air quotes, <laughs> well, you know, air quotes and not air quotes, but elite colleges, elite B-school programs, elite careers. So you're meeting these people who have the money, who have the time, who have flexible work schedules. So it's like wrapped in actually a lot of privilege. And that's like maybe just my bubble. I can't speak for like all of America, but I think what I see is if you don't have one of those things, So many people are like, oh, how do you know this person? We went to B-school together. Right. We went to college together. Or like, I met her at this job. Like even working in tech, I met so many people working at Meta. So many people. And I met people working in media, but like having these flexi jobs where people are taking the fancy vacations. You have to have like friends who are doing the thing to get invited to the thing. And I think, you know, we hear every day how Americans are struggling, not just with loneliness, but financially. So if financially you're struggling, you can't be out partying all the time and going on vacations. So it becomes double sad. It's Mm -hmm. an eliteness of like, these people have the money to do this and the time. And, oh wow, they paid to have these communities. It's kind of like when we were in college and people were like, oh, you're in a sorority, therefore like you've paid to have your friends, which like we were both in sorority, so like do with that what you may. (laughs) Whatever. But... I think there's a little bit of that wrapped in there, at least in my eyes. It doesn't mean if you don't have money, you can't be in community. But a lot of the people that even I'm looking at on Instagram, COVID comes up for me where I was looking at people in their fancy homes and like their quarantines looked elite. Right. But I'm like, you just are rich. Like, like it's not like you have more friends than me. You da, 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 da. It's like you have money. Yeah. That's why you're in your second home right. with your friends and you can travel. And so I do think there is a little bit of sadness of like, loneliness but 
community didn't used to require money. It would be like, like, you know what I mean? We talked about Dumbo house, like money, right? B school money. Like you have to have a certain resume degree to get these jobs of these people. You know what I mean? It's, it's a layer. It's becoming layered in my opinion. Definitely becoming layered. And, and absolutely we've, we're both on the same page that it doesn't have to be something that requires money, but that is a drastic shift that we've seen in our society. And it's certainly not the case for everyone, but it is a shift that we're seeing. And yeah, religious community is something that has evolved for many reasons, but that was realistically a way that people had consistent community, community where people keep showing up. There is a time and a place, maybe a pew that you are in every single week and you get to know those people and you're coming together over shared values. And that's very different than where we're at. I mean, we think about the library, which we love. Podcast goal is to one day record an episode at the Brooklyn Public Library. So stay tuned. But in New York, funding is being taken away from the library. And there's going to be one day a week on Sundays where it's not open to, you know, it's not open. So what are we doing? (laughs) Capitalism. We're doing capitalism at this point. (laughs) How did I forget? Yeah. At this point, capitalism is even requiring you to pay for community. And so people are alone. And it's, it's something that even in this podcast, like, I know we want to talk about doing like meetups and salons and like kind of taking the show on the road, but it's important to me for people to find their people. And I think this pay to play model is fascinating. And we've both participated. Like we both went to four year four year universities. We were in sororities. We met at a social club that we paid for. Like we have been paying for community. I've always been paying for community for ten years. Ten years plus. Yeah. I paid for the sorority too. So <laughs> it is becoming I would love to see an article published of like when did community become elite? Because what I'm seeing the struggle is is if you aren't partnered, because that's also like a privilege. It's not always tied to money, but like, let's be honest, certain like social economic classes get together, they get married, they have these communities of similar families. And if you don't have the privilege of being partnered, having the money to like pay for one of these communities or living near family or being in a situation where like you still do have a religious community because they still do exist. Religious communities didn't die. People just aren't as religious. Absolutely. (laughs) That's, we didn't find the second coming, which is a pun at this point. (laughs) We didn't find the second coming of community. So there is no replacement for church. And I had such a robust community in church growing up. Like, yeah, I loved it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting now that as an adult, my parents don't even have community in the same way at church. Like the whole, they still go to church, but the whole function has changed. It feels like it all happened so fast. (laughs) It makes me sad. It just makes me sad. There's just so many things. I feel like we are in this in-between phase of figuring it out. People are figuring out how to afford housing. And that means they're having to pick places where maybe they don't have community. I mean, I've met so many people and I have so many friends who are like, well, I'm moving here because I can afford to buy a house. Absolutely. And that that was my parents' story. Yeah, that was a big part of the article. It's like you're, you, by nature of needing to find a place to live, you are removing yourself from your community. You are. And, and it, that's not that's not your main objective. That's not something you wanted to do, but it's a choice you have to make. Right. You make that choice and it has ripple effects. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we all have to think about, like leaving our communities, again, for capitalism. It's for economic success. It's so you can own a home, so you can afford a home, et cetera. And so that might mean you're in a place where like you don't know anyone and people aren't as open. 
that's why we're kind of like maybe you make some decisions based off your friends like i'm my plan for adulthood is not to live away from all my friends like it's very much a consideration for me that where i live i can have both solo time and friend time like i'm not interested in moving but that's a privilege right like it's a privilege that i can prioritize my friends because my job is flexible and my location can be flexible and then also like the privilege of having the means i think I would love to figure out why community is something that now you have to, you have to have the like the gift of leisure and the money. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a big shift. What does give me hope is that there is a lot of attention around it and interest around it. And to your point, there's a lot of work being done and kind of like investigation going on. And so sometimes this is maybe this is the messy middle where people are still feeling like they have too much alone time or feeling lonely, but people are considering that and starting to think about it and act on it. I do have hope that, you know, some change will come. It'll take a little bit of time. Me too. Everyone is just unraveling their individualism. In a lot of ways, we weren't taught community. Aside from my rant on the social economics of it all, we were not taught community. We also live in an individualistic society that goes hand in hand with capitalism, where it's you get your nuclear family and you keep to yourself and you do your thing. Being in New Orleans for the past two weeks, everyone hangs out with their families. <laughs> like you, and I'm not saying, I mean, I know that wasn't both of our models, but it was beautiful to be like, okay, wow, you can see like both grandparents and like do this. And like, even with the stories my dad talks about in childhood, like, oh, I just stopped by my grandma's house after school and I'd hang with my cousins. And I'm like, not having that made me very like, I need community, I need friends. I think that's why I prioritize friendship so young because I didn't have a family community. But it's a skill. Like it's it's funny that like friendship, dating, all these are soft skills that we're not taught are skills. It's like, oh, you just have friends. But no, you don't. Like you have to, especially at this age, you have to try. And I think a lot of people are lonely because they don't know how to try or they don't have the energy to try. Absolutely. Or they're not a part of those communities that are naturally doing it. Because the things that you're paying for are like your second chance at community, essentially. But we need to find ways. Like volunteering is one. You spoke about that. Volunteering is still a free way to meet people. Church still exists if you're religious. I can't even think about other communities that you can just roll into. I live near a small park. Yeah, and parents have community. Yeah. But that's another that's another weird privilege thing where yeah. it's like, do you have the money in this economy to have kids, let alone multiple kids? And then but parents have community, like through yeah. their schools, mm-hmm. through they made me think of the park, they go to the playground, they do yeah. play dates. That's another way I feel like people in their thirties are finding community, but we don't have children. So right. <laughs> So uh, that's I'm not meeting mommy friends on the playground. Yeah. I, yeah, don't have any of those. I do believe that there's like a level of muscle memory to it. And so the more that people think about what they need, the more that people try different things and get people on board and get those small wins and big wins, that kind of like social fitness, I think was a term that was used in the article, will start to develop. And I hope that that will, you know, just get everyone to to a better place where they're feeling like they can, you know, have the time that they need with others. and and make that alone time that much more delicious. Right. My mutual on TikTok, Rania, was talking about how social media is not social, so she goes out of her way to comment on people's stuff and and things like that. And I've actually had some interactions on TikTok where I have met up with people who I like speak to. I met Rania at an event. 
that Kendra hosts, Kendra has a collective for women called Third Cup. And it's like these events that she does. And yes, some of them cost money, but they're pretty accessible and some of them are free. And they're always a great time. And I've met so many women at those events and had really amazing conversations just by nature of how Kendra sets them up. And even things like that, I I think to your point about social fitness, it's not being afraid to just kind of throw yourself in because even as someone who has a friend group, I go to that stuff. I like Kendra. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And like, I met Raina at one and like, we follow each other on social and she talks about like being social on the internet. And like, I have met people where I'm like, we should hang out. And I've gotten a cup of coffee with them thinking, oh, it's going to be awkward. Like, I don't know them and it's not. And now we're friends. And so I just... I do encourage people, maybe this week you think of a person you can reach out to, maybe during your solo time, you are introspective (laughs) about who can I reach out to if you have a friend you think has been showing signs of loneliness or you yourself feel lonely. So take someone that you've been watching from afar on Instagram and say, hey, it looks so, like I keep seeing you post this bar, it looks so fun, I'd love to join you for a drink. I think being lonely is terrible. And we've been seeing all these articles about how it can kill you. So doing what you can to just, like, get out there. And yeah. I know it's hard. Again, what do we, what do we say? Social fitness? Social fitness. Let's social exercise fitness. a little bit of social fitness. Exactly. A little bit of social fitness uh, for the week because yeah. it's worth it. All right. All right. See you next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Table Pancakes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to drop us a line, our email address is tablepancakespod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.